Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese meditation bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the wisest counsel and most fascinating people in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And so let me ask you, my coronavirus lockdown friend, have you been to a restaurant lately? Bet you haven't. And if you're lucky, you've eaten outside a restaurant. And if you're not lucky, you're one of the hundreds of thousands who's lining up to find any food at all. And meanwhile, the entire food industry, from farm to plate, is taking a hit unknown since the Great Depression. Farmers are dumping unsold crops, while charities and now private industries struggling to reestablish this waiting line distribution. Federal government sits in ghostly denial. So honestly, how bad is it now? Is America ever going to be able to feed itself again? Will we get back and if not back, what will be the new forward? And the only glimmer of hope, my friend, we propose is that these are not unknowable answers. Right here and properly distanced from our studio by half a state uh, is Mr. Brian Todd. He's a frequent expert on the art of the CEO. Brian's probably the most knowledgeable person in the nation about the food industry today. He served as CEO for the Food Institute for over two decades, and now he's answering the call of several food companies, guiding them onto the comeback trail uh, with some very clever innovations. And so whether you're a foodie wondering if the delights of yesterday month are ever going to disappear, uh, reappear like Eleanor, or you're one of those farmers who's wondering uh, where to market his crops from the field, like Charlie and his family, Pull up your chair and join us for this feast of wisdom, all carefully cuisined to make your career thrive and your ventures flourish. Brian, it's good to have you back on the Art of the CEO and uh, facing one of probably the the toughest food challenges we've seen certainly during uh, your lifetime or mine. Yeah, definitely. And thank you for having me back. I really had nothing better to do today, so uh, I'm Glad oh, I was well, free. That's good. <laughs> that's good. Yes, I got. Yes, that's what most of the people who listen to the show say. Um, Brian, actually, Brian, when it comes to, oh, honestly, uh, when it comes to the, the the really horrendous blow dealt by the COVID pandemic, I, I you really have to place the food industry one of the the, the top three hardest hit. We we've got restaurant cl- closings, but we we all know that. But just to broaden our horizons, could you give us one or two of the the, the, the hidden, unseen bits of damage that the food industry is is uh, suffering? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, definitely it is. Uh, it's probably the hardest hit industry in the United States uh, and the world um, as a result of the pandemic. Um, and the you know just loss in in food sales overall, as you mentioned, the restaurant industry hardest hit, which um, probably uh, expected to lose a quarter of a trillion dollars in sales this year. And um, and with that, of course, it's not just restaurants. What comes up, you know, many of the suppliers, not just food, but um, all of the ex- extra equipment that goes along with it, be it ovens, be it uh, cleaning supplies, be it anything else that a restaurant might use, um, you know, and all the jobs that go with it. So, you know, it's kind of a very much a domino effect of of what has happened. So um, just seeing the restaurants close is just really the tip of the iceberg. Right. Oh, I see what you mean. That, you know, of course, everything that would feed those various food uh, presenters and offers. Right? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, now you have uh, you switched from leader of food industry 
information dissemination with uh, heading up the Food Institute. And you're taking now, if I may, a sort of a more active role by guiding individual food companies into dealing with the pandemic. Uh, tell us, if you could, just what kind of uh, challenges are these firms presenting to you? Uh, sure. A, a lot of it, you know, initially, um, of course, you know, suddenly having your business shut down on the far on the side of the restaurants, or if uh, for some, you know, retailers, the exact opposite, where you know um, people were literally, you know, standing at your doors, uh, you know, waiting to get in with lines, which is something that, uh, you know, certainly they had to deal with on that side. So um, the manufacturers then supplying them as well had several different issues. So um, a lot of what companies are dealing with and you know I've been kind of helping with you know supply chain issues um, obviously when the pandemic broke out we realized that the um, the United States which has probably the one of the most efficient food supplies in the United States was almost too efficient because we got used to uh, things like on-time delivery um, uh, keeping warehouses stocked as low as possible so to keep inventory costs down and so forth but um, when something like this happened uh, those huge gaps became visible. So uh, a lot of companies are looking to technology and other ways to improve that. So uh, goodness forbid something like this happens again, or there is some sort of a resurgence that they do not have a resurgence in that uh, that gap in supply that's happened. So been helping um, you know several companies that way on the restaurant side. Of course, uh, many companies were not geared up for uh, for online ordering um, using third-party services which they quickly found were very expensive so you know are now putting in systems of their own or their own delivery systems um, you know I think that the food industry has always been one for everyone buckling their belt and uh, that's certainly something that's happening again Wow. well looking at the, the, the restaurant for just just a moment uh, as you said, uh, uh, could you give us a sort of an idea? What was the consumer behavior before the pandemic? What was our sort of the, the, the consumer market share and stats and, and revenue? You said a quarter of a million. And what has it shifted to? Uh, just to give us an idea of the change, what has it all shifted to after COVID brought restaurants, the whole industry, down to its knees? Sure. Um, well, for for many years, uh, you know, it was always the uh, the restaurant industry striving to uh, to be, you know, account for half of every dollar spent on food. And um, over the past three or four years, they reached that. It was pretty much 50% of consumer expenditures for food were away from home and 50% at home. Um, and as I said, it, it took quite a while for them to get here, get there. Um, but then what happened immediately after, of course, when the restaurants closed, um, and kind of the latest indication is it's, you know, that restaurant share dropped to, uh, you know, somewhere around, you know, 30% um, of those sales because they did, the restaurants did make some inroads, obviously, in doing uh, home delivery and curbside pickup. So managed to pick that back up, but nobody sees it kind of coming back that quickly to that 50% level. Um, so that's, uh, you know, definitely, you know, has impacted how restaurants operate. And then on the, um, on the other side, of course, uh, you know, we had, you know, grocery sales um, going online as well. So um, we were looking at, uh, and I, I pulled up some numbers back actually for this too on uh, what's been happening on that side, but U.S. online grocery sales hit a record high, $7.2 billion in June, according to uh, our, our friends okay. at a company called Brick Meets Click. Um, so that was up 9% from May, but even more importantly, that was, 
almost four times greater than it was just last August. So um, we've seen a great acceleration in, uh, in online shopping. We had not expected to see online grocery sales hit the levels that they're hitting for another three or four years. So, Excuse um, me, you say online been, uh, shopping, and by that I mean online food shopping, not online ordering from restaurants. Uh, no, this would be online grocery ordering, just uh, just from supermarkets. Right. Okay. Be, yeah. Be right. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Well, yeah. Which is how many restaurants? How many restaurants are there in the U.S. and how many are going to survive? Um, basically, you know, I mean, uh, you know, we're expecting about you know one in one in five restaurants will probably close permanently this year. Um, you know, they they've already shuttered and they will never reopen. Um, so we're talking, you know. You know about you know a, a large number there. Um, you know I think there's something like nine hundred thousand uh, to a million um, on that side. So you know a, a pretty oh significant. We, we have we have a little shy closing. of a million restaurants, and and one out of five of them will be no more. Right, exactly, and um, it it has. Uh, as they start looking at, you know, reopening what we've already seen, you know, a number of bankruptcies, even in, on the chain side of, uh, you know, smaller chains that just cannot come back Their you know, their formats just didn't, you know, allow them to, uh, to survive. So uh, you know, we, we expect to see that. And um, I'm sure we will see acquisitions kind of returning probably late this year, next year, as some of those smaller concepts are, are bought up probably at bargain basement prices. Um, that uh, you know they're buying for the equipment or the locations for certain areas. Oh yeah, sure. If if you've just joined us, my friend, you're listening to the Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time seeps into your waiting ears across the mightily misunderstood realms of cyberspace, where you may listen and download it by visiting theartoftheceo.com. That's the easiest way. Theartoftheceo.com. Uh, that way you can hear this, you can hear Brian's excellent wisdom on the food industry and all our other shows. Brian, you talked about, you mentioned chains versus privately owned eateries. Uh, who, uh, obviously the, the chains have deeper pockets, but their franchises to a large extent. Uh, the uh, which, which kinds of restaurants, uh, who's winning that battle, and what kind of restaurants are best adapted to survive? Sure. Well, uh, you know, immediate winners of that battle was any restaurant with a drive-in window. Um, so a lot of the fast food uh, places and, and even, you know, Starbucks that closed down temporarily many locations, but, you know, reorganized and opened up again. Um, uh, they are the ones that, that have been kind of winning the battle. Even when you look at, you know, a chain like McDonald's, um, they've kind of clawed back to coming very close to where their sales were before the pandemic because of that, uh, that activity. So, um, so those are the ones that, uh, that have been the winners. And then the, I think the, the, the local restaurants that managed, you know, maybe had a very strong customer base and could immediately already had some sort of delivery service, um, particularly of their own, um, as I mentioned, uh, you know, the third party delivery systems such as Uber or, um, or DoorDash, uh, you know, are very costly for the operators. Uh, they quickly hub. found that, that it was eating in. I I would think that it would be uh, if you could arrange it yourself. Uh, I mean, you're you're consulting these firms. If you could arrange, if you could arrange your own system, that would be really preferable to hiring one of the the third party contractors like Grubhub and Uber. Am I right on that? 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, even um, you know, I mean, some of those groups take uh, you know as much as thirty percent of the total check uh, price when they uh, you know they charge oh, for pickup or, or for deliver. They pick up and deliver for you, I should say. Um, so yes, if there's some way you can do it. So you know, the other area, you know, the, your local pizza chain that uh, you know has been around for for decades and decades, um, you know, has right. that, had that system in place and could capitalize. Who on has it Joe delivering pizza all, every all night, every night is is barely notices the difference. I guess one of the best I heard was, uh, and this was back in March, uh, there was uh, a local restaurant that with each takeout order was off, was uh, giving you a roll of toilet paper. Uh, <laughs> it was not, I don't think it was supposed to be a reflection on the quality of their food, but rather the shortage of finding TP, but what do I know? Uh, <laughs> right. You might want to be careful what that advertisement looks like, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. Oh, God. This is, this is right. Now, um, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, you, you were saying that, that the, the ones with the, the outside uh, eateries, is this, uh, is this the sort of thing that's going to be, be going on? Uh, this is certainly going to go on for a while the the idea of the restaurant lockdown do you foresee uh, a gradual opening of a gradual reopening of, of restaurants uh soon state by state since since the power to handle this has apparently all been dumped in the state's lap um are we going to be seeing uh it, could this be a normal for a while if in other words if i if i set up a uh a takeout thing and and so forth. Should I be counting on that lasting for a while, or, or are we looking at, at major? Are we on the verge of something, some major change? Um, no, I, th I think we're we're looking at it definitely, you know, through this year, um, you know, definitely into the fall and uh, and beyond. Um, I think the the red the states are they have slowed down their their openings, um, particularly New York City, which had planned to open a couple weeks ago and now put the kibosh on that, although. In northern New York State, you can eat indoors with, you know, limited seating, uh, whether it's 25 or 50 percent. So, you know, restaurants are gearing up for that. Um, indeed, there are, you know, many costs involved with that, so they have to be careful on not to uh, <laughs> to overexpect what might happen ordering too much food. But um, yeah, I think yeah, I, it I, will happen on a, on a state by state basis, and um, you know, with <laughs> with such limited or no guidance coming, uh, you know, from the from, from the federal level, um, it, it's going to be something that everyone will be watching closely in their individual towns and counties and states. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's turn to a, a happier, I think, <laughs> side of the food. Let's, let's talk to the the grocery store uh, and supermarket. Uh, you had said that they have uh, picked up uh, what was it four times uh, this their their I forget market share uh, four times their revenue uh, this uh, this this past June uh, is uh, is are they what are restaurants I'm sorry what are uh, what are the grocery stores doing to to adapt to this. Sure. Um, yeah, and and their sales have their their online sales have you know almost quadrupled, and their uh, their regular their overall sales have you know been up you know you know eighteen twenty percent uh, you know compared to a year ago because of uh, of COVID as consumers shifted. So um, I mean the immediate thing is as everyone knows um, you know the the shortage of supplies is their shelves 
you know, people came in, yeah. um, you know, it was like a, uh, you know, a, a hurricane ongoing for months uh, that, <laughs> that caused the uh, supply lines to, uh, to empty out. So kind of that was their first, uh, you know, priority was making sure that everything was filled. And, um, and I honestly think they've, they did a phenomenal job of doing that, even though there might've been gaps and people complaining about not getting toilet paper. Um, you know, there were, there was food available um, and people, Definitely, you know, even even though someone who went in and probably bought canned peas for the first time in ten years, um, you know, certainly found that uh, that they could do that, and uh, and that the supermarket was a, a viable place for uh, for <laughs> for filling their their cupboards again. So, um, you know, I think they they continue to do that. They did, of course, have the uh, the worker issue um, with doing that, and and again, the uh, you know the frontline workers there did a phenomenal job. They did. You know, increase their salaries somewhat in many cases. Um, right now, oh, really? it seems like some are kind of pulling back from that. But uh, but I think we're going to see that kind of be the norm that uh, that these people will ultimately be paid more, which will mean more costs for the supermarkets, of course. But um, but something that uh, that will almost certainly have to happen. Yeah. Well, now you mentioned one thing briefly. Uh, it's always I know that particularly the supermarkets, one of the major sources of revenue has been this this competition for shelf space. I mean, if I'm if I'm coming up with my brand of canned peas, I really need shelf space in in your major chain or, or your minority or your, your store, and this has been a great source of revenues for for these things. But that's but with the logistics falling apart, that's is that that's kind of vanished, hasn't it? Yeah, it's definitely been a sea change um, on that front. I mean, for for so many years, uh, you know, the national brands, be it uh, you know the whether it's a, a food item or a non-food item, uh, was you know competing for shelf space and paying for it, um, literally paying you know to put their products on the shelves of supermarkets. Uh, right. When you know, as a result of the pandemic, you know, a lot of these companies now have uh, have had to you know cut back on their production of the variety of items just to focus on, um, you know, whether it's, you know, for, for a product like Tide laundry detergent, you know, maybe there were, you know, 20 different varieties before now they're just, you know, pumping out the major ones so that they can fill the shelves. And, um, and I think consumers are realizing, you know, well, they don't need 20 different brands of something. So uh, right. I think there is a definite revaluing of that space. So, uh, so I think, I know a number of companies, you know, Mondelez and Hershey and others have already announced that they're coming, they're going to be reducing the number of SKUs, which is stock keeping units in supermarket terms um, on supermarket shelves. So um, I think that will be something that will be there. I think on the other hand, kind of the positive end of that is um, it will probably leave more, more space available for new products for entrepreneurs and, you know, people that are out there, uh, you know, looking to push their own products because I think we will see a resurgence in that as, you know, more healthy products are out there. Supermarkets looking to still provide a, a large variety, but maybe it's not going to be coming from those national brands as it was before. Could this be, it's sort of, I, I, before, could this be a breakup of the five major food companies that supply 90 some odd percent of what we eat? And I'm, I'm sure I've got that wrong, but if it is, Close to that. Yeah, uh, yeah, the major ones, is, the large. Are we going to see companies. this? Is um, it a possibility that that'll shatter? Yeah, I think, and I think it was shattering even before the pandemic. In a way, um, you oh. know, we've had the the large companies were being, you know, um, 
getting competed competition from uh, many levels, particularly you know, private labels, the store brand product had been eating into their share for a while. I think um, before the pandemic, you know, it was basically you know 25% of supermarket sales were coming from private label products. You know, 10 years ago, that was probably 18%. So, you know, they had made some significant inroads and continue to. Um, and then people are, you know, much more uh, open to uh, to new products, local products. So, uh, yeah, I think this will be a continuation of that kind of uh, eradication of kind of the, the position of a lot of those large CPG companies. But as you said, they're, they're still going to account for the largest portion of all of our food sales. Um, so, you know, not but looking for it to go away. There's a difference between the largest anything. portion and, and the almost impossibly overwhelming, uh, mon- uh, almost a monopolistic percentage. So that's that's amazing. That's wow. Um, this is this is fabulous, Brian. Brian's going to continue uh, to reveal that there's more about the state of the food industry, and and we'll talk more about the the chains. I'm sorry, the supply chain coming up right after you and I take a brief uh, sorbet from today's feast of wisdom, as we offer you a few utensils uh, for you uh, to use in your partaking. And first utensils, I always do. Allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, allow me to ask, will this be the day that you stare this COVID crisis square in the face, put up your opportunity antennae, and leap into whatever that avenue is that's going to best serve you for today? Or will you continue to bemoan your losses and wait for they, whoever they are, to enslave you into some sort of new normal? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second utensil, I can sense you yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a scriptural recitation from the source book of business humor in the words of my wife's husband. And so right now, I am thumbing through the Kermudgepedia. Uh, oh, I love this. Uh, this is this devilish definition of business jargon. Okay, here's one. A text in business, refers to a carefully misspelled, uh, carelessly misspelled missive designed either to prod the recipient's rear or cover the sender's. <laughs> so, so what do you think, Brian? Have we become so busy condensing our thought that we're shooting for brevity over well-formed and expressed ideas? Uh, in many senses, yes. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, I often feel that way. It's it's just uh, you know we think we've. Uh, it's amazing how uh, if if you start thinking in tweet late sentences and and uh, text late sentences, you uh, you sort of slow down the old mind, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, anyway, if you smirked over that quip a little bit, we've got them literally by the books full. Just pick up uh, 102 best business quips, 101 best business quips, or the, in the words of my wife's husband. Uh, and if you do, I can tell you all your hitherto serious pontifications will be laced with delightfully jovial witticisms that may just garner your well-zoomed uh, words a bit more attention. Uh, and as a third utensil, we sumptuously spooned you the answer to last week's business quotation. That is the, a- the name of the individual who said, the herd instinct among economic forecasters makes sheep look like independent thinkers. <laughs> and those words were spoken by none other than the economist, the president, Nixon, and Ford 
Mr. Edgar Fiedler. So, congratulations to all you winners, and stick with us, because later on in the show, blurting your way comes another enriching quotation. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be, and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com. And if you are correct, your knowledge will earn you a mind and soul igniting gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And food and uh, industries top expert Brian Todd will continue to lay out the challenges and some very clever solutions uh, in these COVID times. Right after uh, I introduce to you the company by whose good graces we're here today, and that firm is Prometheus Publishing, which invites you to take a look at its upcoming offering. Uh, You've heard a bit of it. It's called In the Words of My Wife's Husband. And it's... uh, this very radio rock on tour tells uh, the whole goal is to tell you just what's so funny about the world of business. Uh, it's it what it consists of is a it's all those quips that you've been hearing, all the the funny uh, interchanges between myself and guests over the years. Uh, there's some quotable zingers to spike up uh, your various quotations. There's some repartee. There's uh, those funny takeaway parting shots with with which I always start in the words of my wife's husband but there's and there's also something called the curmudgeopedia which gives devilish definitions of business jargon in other words this is time heaven knows now for some fun so to reserve your copy just visit bartsbooks.com and carpe diem my friend you are indeed worth it and so now with utensils in hand, let's open yourselves to a little hope as Mr. Brian Todd continues to lay out new pathways for the food industry. Brian, you you, you were talking before about the uh, market sort of blurring between the, the the line between food at home versus food eaten out. Well, certainly COVID has, has changed all that, and you're saying if there's new terms coming in such as food at home versus food away from home at home as a, where, where is this all leading us uh in in the retail food industry well i think yeah yeah you're absolutely right the blurring continues um between where people get their food products uh you know food food away from home was always you know restaurants but then as you, as you mentioned the food away from home at home is you know the home delivery of restaurants and uh we can you know look at it the other way from the supermarket side where uh, people start pick up pick up their prepared meals at supermarkets. So, you know, that's been going on, you know, probably, you know, a lot longer than people really realize. Um, right now there's a, a kind of a resurgence in rotisserie chickens in supermarkets, but that's been happening, you know, going back since, since I was a, a young, a young shopper. I, I forget how long ago that was, unfortunately. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, we will still continue to see that. I think the, uh, the supermarkets, um, you know, are have been kind of. I guess we've taken kind of a, a switch in the way things have happened, where supermarkets were fending off the restaurants, and now restaurants, as they start to reemerge, will be you know fighting off the supermarkets. So um, there will be a complete blurring. There's even been on the distributor side. Um, obviously, when the uh, the pandemic hit and the restaurants closed down, there were the food industry has always been divided very fiercely between who supplies restaurants and who supplies retailers and almost never the twain shall meet. Um, indeed, several yeah, companies yeah. who tried that failed fabulously. But um, but when the pandemic hit, several specialty uh, food companies, one in the New York area called Baldor, 
quickly switched and said, well, you know, we'll send you our supermarket, uh, our, our restaurant quality food uh, right to your door. And, um, you know, lo and behold, I started looking at that and, uh, and even tried it. Um, of course, there was a $200 minimum for your, for your order, but you could get, you know, uh-huh. restaurant quality steaks and produce and seafood. And, um, and they've, from what I've gathered, you know, have done very successfully in that switch and they had the, uh, the infrastructure in place to do it. And, um, and I think fortunately for them, they seem to have the, uh, the computer and the, uh, the tech and the technology to, to switch to, uh, to consumers rather than businesses. So, um, so I think, you know, that's just one of the ways that it's happened, but I'm sure we're going to see much more. So is this going to be where uh, all these little household catering firms, which have just been smacked because there's no more banquets going around, are they going to make that sort of shift and become uh, straight-on distributors? Is that an open door for them? Um, I I think they'll continue to compete, right? They're going to have to uh, regain their business in some ways, and if it's not coming from restaurants, then from uh, offering it to, to individual homes, the other you know, we've seen the the meal kit market, things like Blue Apron, um, you know, that sends packages, you know, boxes of ingredients to people's homes. And you know, late last year there was talk in you know of you know that, that business was was fledgling. Uh, you know, people were deciding, oh, we really don't want to do it. But of course, as a result of the pandemic, they saw a total resurgence, and um, you know, people started realizing that uh, that they were out there and. Um, Oh, we can get anything we want, but I don't know how to cook anything. So let me get a box with all the right. ingredients and the recipe and a YouTube video, and you know, and I can become a chef as well. So, uh, so again, oh, you know, even you, more competition. You think the Americans and, are going to have to learn how to cook? Yeah, which is something you know. <laughs> you know, we used to always say <laughs> that the uh, you know the, the dining room lights were out in many houses, so uh, they've come back on again. <laughs> Well, well, certainly the bar lights uh, have, have come on. I was reading, <laughs> was reading that, that uh, liquor consumption is up 20, 27 times or something. Oh, god awful things. Anyway, uh, let's actually looking at the whole, more of the whole dinner plate here, and, and moving out into other things. Uh, what about the the food? Uh, we've mentioned farmers, but what about the, the the many manufacturing plants? That are that are taking the food from from the farmers and uh, putting it through this marvelous logistical chain. I mean, they they can't handle physical distancing uh, through robotics. It's, it's it's just not practical. Chicken pluckers and meat packers are not going to be telecommuting. Uh, so how are the how is the whole processing industry going to handle this? Uh, I mean, it, it's uh, the the. Uh, the the threat of the virus literally within their plants and is it uh and will they be able to come back regain and and maintain their their part of the chain yeah. well i think um i mean the one thing to remember is you know the food uh, the u.s food industry is, is still the the safest safest food supply in the world and um, food safety has always been at the forefront and um i think the worker safety is really just an extension of that and uh, I think, as you mentioned, you know, the, the plants, you know, whether it's chicken pluckers um, and, and sorters, and if you've ever seen a video of what goes on in a chicken plant, you might never eat chicken, and chicken again, yeah. but um, right. it is in very close proximity. So, I, I mean, many have already started putting in, in steps to do that. Um, and you do mention robotics because it is interesting, again, something that over the past several years, um, a company like Tyson, which is the largest meat producer, 
um, has yeah. invested, you know, I forget, between 500 and a billion dollars in, uh, you know, robotics oh. technology and has made, made inroads and I'm sure is stepping up that process. Uh, I know I in know. Europe, they're actually ahead of the U.S. in that technology. Of course, the, you know, the really? food systems are, you know, somewhat smaller. So um, we are seeing yes, more and more of that. So uh, I think that will continue. Um, the other thing driving that before was, of course, you know, higher labor costs. So, uh, again, it, yeah. you know, everything comes down to a spreadsheet. So they were always looking at ways to to cut workers, especially reading about, you know, the minimum wage going up, which is now, you know, uh, you know something that, you know, a little back on further back on their radar, but something that uh, that they know is going to be reappearing. Yeah, and that was that was being fought. And, and well, one of the things that, that uh, the companies, the entrepreneurs that start the companies make America great, but the other thing is the fact that, that we have traditionally, through great fights from government and labor leaders, have, have paid our people enough to be able to, very, to buy the products they're producing. And so that's, that's uh, it's, it's an interesting tension that's going to continue. What about farmers? Are we going to see, I, I mean, you've got, uh, you've got all their supply chains disrupted, although you were pointing to some uh, some great uh, innovations and people coming along. Uh, uh, are, are we going to see farm foreclosures? Um, has it started or, or not? Um, well, I think it's, it's a different. Um, you know, a lot of people compare this, you know, to the Great Depression, but we we don't have a dust bowl issue um, where you know farm practices. Yeah, the reasons really are totally to different. It, you know, things like that. So it's a, it's a totally different economic picture that way. But um, but farmers, on the other hand, as you mentioned, you know, having to uh, because they could not get their product to market, you know, dumping millions of gallons of milk, um, you know, but they they do have the capacity, you know, to produce it. You know, we, we certainly have a as far as the food supply, we have we we still are, um, you know, the largest supplier in the world, and uh, will continue to supply the world. And as a matter of fact, you know, one thing we probably have a greater supply in the U.S. right now than before because of all the restrictions on exports and things like that that have happened and the slowdown of, uh, of consumption overseas. So that will, you know, continue. So, you know, getting it through the pipeline is, again, you know, the uh, filling those supply lines, which they've been doing much more effectively lately. So uh, I do not think we we'll, also you know, have 40 there will be shortages on that side. Yeah. We have 40 million people at work, and I'm just wondering. Uh, I mean, I hear... Uh, so the pipeline's reestablishing itself, but also we, uh, I, I, there are long, long lines of people waiting for, for, uh, for I, I, some of it free, some of it very, very low cost food. Uh, is is that going to continue? I guess is that is that primarily a labor problem, not a distribution problem, right? Yeah, I think that's more of a, a labor problem. People out of work doing it, and um, you know, looking for. You know, needing needing that assistance, which um, I think again, groups like Feeding America and uh, and programs like that have done a phenomenal job of uh, of distributing that food. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, that's that's great. But this is some this is something that is going to come home to hit us. I mean, and but even I, you know, even during the 1340s, when half of Europe uh, was was killed, uh, was stricken with bubonic plague. They they emerge with some winners, and so I'm curious, who now you you've mentioned a few, but who's getting who in the food industry is getting a windfall, and where are the benefits to be seized that you see, other than some of the ones you've mentioned already. 
Sure. Um, yeah. Well, well, as I mentioned, you know, grocery stores have benefited, although their costs have increased. Certainly, their sales have increased. So, um, you know, they are doing much better than they had anticipated. Um, and included in that are, you know, the, the major other retailers like Walmart, um, you know, who now sells, you know, close to, you know, over 40% of the nation's food is coming, you know, to, to consumers via Walmarts and Targets and organizations like that. So, uh, so those have have done fairly well, but I think on the other side, uh, surprisingly for many after years, what, what we call center center of the store suppliers, so the, the canned vegetable people, the um, the frozen vegetable uh, companies and frozen prepared meals um, like ConAgra um, on the canned side, that's Seneca. So they have seen, obviously, you know, their products becoming popular again um, and um, and then definitely are, you know, taking advantage of that by, you know, promoting them even more so that people will continue to return uh, to the supermarkets and buy them and fill their, fill their carts with, uh, with canned goods and frozen goods. So, um, you know, definitely on that side are, are seeing, you know, a benefit. And then um, as far as anything, any company, you know, again, on the, on the online side that can help, the industry overall uh, in some way by doing it. So, you know, obviously Amazon <laughs> uh, or anyone right. who can come up with systems like that is certainly, you know, benefiting greatly and will continue to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, there is I, just one thing you mentioned something. It's a total tangent, but I, I, I want to clear it up. Uh, it is in my opinion, it's been my, my from what I'm reading, Frozen. Uh, we we want everything fresh, and we believe that only the fresh is 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 uh, is, is nutritional. Am I right that frozen food has every bit as much nutrition? It doesn't lose. There's no f- loss of, of nutrition, or very little, in the freezing process. And in general, it's some of the most nutritious uh, food around, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I've done work with the uh, the American Frozen Food Institute, which uh, you know is the organization for those groups. But uh, yeah, vegetables and fruits, particularly because the you know the the plants are located you know <laughs> by the field, so you know it's, it's immediately frozen, so the nutrition is locked in. It does not, you know, rather than being transported and sitting in a produce aisle, perhaps for even if it's a few days or perhaps a week, um, so you know does not lose that nutritional value. So uh, and that's something. You you will be reading more about um, I know as the uh, organizations like that continue to promote that as an aspect and people can keep it in their freezers so you know touch it at any time without uh, without much preparation at all. Yeah okay I, I, there was one little myth I wanted to to put down you know sort of they get they get charred with a bad brush I think sometimes anyway uh, we are <laughs> vast I'd like to do this for another three hours but uh, just as we're you are, as I say, consulting with major uh, and, and, and individual food uh, purveyors and creators, uh, processors. Uh, can you, uh, first of all, if I want to, uh, could you tell us two little adaptations, one or two little adaptations that you've suggested that uh, seem to be working out at this time? And also, could you then tell us, if I want to get in touch with Brian Todd and Associates, uh, which you have founded uh, to make sure that my business thrives through the pandemic and long afterwards. How do I get in touch with you? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, yes. As far as adapting, uh, you know, for companies, um, for retailers and manufacturers, the one thing, um, you know, I inform you, you know, just be aware of what's going on uh, with the guidelines. Is particularly now they they are changing 
you know, almost daily. So uh, whether you're checking the, the government sites or, uh, <laughs> or using services like mine to help keep you informed of what's going on, um, but uh, it is happening so quickly to make sure they're not caught behind the eight ball in some way with uh, some regulation or restriction that, uh, that might come down and hurt their business. Um, the other one is right now, and again, it, it applies to manufacturers, retailers, and restaurants is um, as, uh, as a result of the pandemic, I think uh, many consumers are looking more for healthier products. Being they're cooking at home, they're realizing that, uh, you know, they like the way things taste, that they like natural foods, they like local foods. So, um, you know, any way that you can help on that side, whether your product is locally manufactured or you're selling locally manufactured um, products or grown products, that uh, something that, you know, still should be continued to be focused on um, and uh, on that sense. So that's kind of a, you know, in a nutshell, a few of the things. And, um, and for anyone I can be reached uh, the company again is Brian Todd at Brian Todd associates.com. So uh, it, I'm sorry, the, the email is Brian at Brian Todd associates.com. Um, and the company is Brian Todd and associates. So uh, I would look forward to hearing from anyone with any questions they might have. Wow, that's that's wonderful, and I put that down. And I just want to, yeah, I have. I think that's. I'm trying doing my best to, to deal locally. I uh, it's been a great help that the uh, that the state has allowed that our state has allowed so many new local distilleries to open up. So I'm I'm getting a lot of my uh, food locally now, a lot of my intake locally in that way. So it's something we should all all be. Uh, be working toward. Uh, at, at any rate, Brian, this is this has been great. Uh, I, I really hope uh, I'd like to sort of set you off for uh, maybe I don't know. Let's let's why don't we swing back in say a month or two and let's let's, let's say let's uh, and, and see uh, and get an update. Would you be willing to come back on a little a little later? Yes, certainly. We'll certainly have more information by then. Okay, heaven knows. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, and be safe. Okay, truly we will. And as we round out today's Feast of Wisdom, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leading you with today's business quotation, and that is, the most indispensable ingredient for home cooking is love for those you are cooking for. Who was it who said that? And, well, as a hint, uh, this alluringly gorgeous actress starring in Marriage Italian Style and Grumper Old Men is, quite naturally, Italian. So if you know the author of that quote, just send write the author's name down, send it right off to us at info at bartsbooks.com to win a career-igniting gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. Don't forget to tune in next week to The Art of the CEO as renowned comedian Eddie Brill, who backed up David Letterman for 17 years, a fabulously funny gentleman. He's going to tell us the state of the performing arts today and the business of comedy and the need for laughter. Heaven knows. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, if we can keep the same distance from each other that our politicians are keeping from the truth, we'll have this COVID thing licked in a couple of months. <laughs> and to you, gleefully sharing our day's feast, I, I hope that you've enjoyed The Art of the CEO as much as Brian and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember that you may download this on, and, and all of our shows uh, by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally, to you, who have honored us with your time, may I say, as always... It has been a privilege, and I thank you.